Good morning. Happy Sabbath. The sermon title for today is called A New Thing. Moses coined this phrase in the scripture reading that we just heard from. He said, but if the Lord make a new thing. I would like to suggest that our God is a God who makes new things. Today we'll look at the events in history behind this phrase of Moses, but if the Lord make a new thing. Some questions that we'll answer, did the Lord only make a new thing once? Was it just for the people of that day? And does the Lord make new things today? We'll look at some examples during the time of the Old Testament. Then we'll take a look at the time of the New Testament. And lastly, we'll see if God is still making new things for his people today in 2022. But before we begin, let's pray. Dear God, as we come together today, we invite your presence here. Please send your spirit, your spirit of truth to be with us. Please enlighten our thoughts today, and may you be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses said, But if the Lord make a new thing, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 16. But before we start there, I'd like to first set the stage of what happened in the chapters just before this. Before this, 12 spies had just come back from spying out the promised land. Do you remember what happened? There were 10 spies that said they would be unable to take the land, while two said, God is with us. Let's go get the land. Whose report did the people believe? Unfortunately, they believed the majority, choosing unbelief. And their choice proved their works to be faithless. Church family, what was the result of having no faith? It resulted in not entering the promised land. And Hebrews 3.19 confirms it. It says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Only the two spies whose works were built upon faith later entered that goodly land. Righteousness by faith comes to mind. This story is to be an example for us in our day as well, because we are on the border of heavenly Canaan. We are to have faith, and we are to believe in God's word. Finally, we can be sure that in these last days, God will fulfill all his promises for his people. That was the prequel to the events before our story where Moses uses the phrase, but if the Lord do a new thing. So our story picks up in Numbers chapter 16. In my Bible, it's titled Rebellion. And for the sake of time, we'll look at some inspired cliff notes so that we don't have to read the whole chapter. 
In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 395, it says, a deep-laid conspiracy was formed to overthrow the authority of the leaders appointed by God. Korah, who was a cousin of Moses, along with 250 princes, had gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Their claim was that they should be privileged not only with serving in the tabernacle services, but they should also be prophets and priests, just like Moses and Aaron. They said to Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon yourselves, seeing all of the congregation is holy. Why do you lift yourself up above us? Now, before I keep going with this story, we just read about a conspiracy. What I would like to say about conspiracies is this. There are some prominent preachers today who preach denying all conspiracies, lumping them all in one big pile. You've heard them. They put some that could be credible with crazy ones that are nowhere near being credible making a belief in any kind of conspiracy to be looked on as lunacy. My advice for the church today, let scripture be our guide. If the Israelites had a true conspiracy at the border of the promised land, you can bet there are some true conspiracies today as we are on the border of heavenly Canaan. Concerning these things, it is my belief that instead of denouncing all conspiracies, we should be praying that God give us wisdom like Solomon to discern between what's true and not true. Back to the story. One of the main problems Korah and the 250 princes had shortly after spying out the land was that instead of seeing God leading them, they saw Moses not taking them to the promised land. They saw Moses not giving them their inheritance. And they accused Moses of reigning over them to kill them in the wilderness. But we know that this accusation was not true. We know they chose to believe the report of the ten spies. They actually said they would rather die in the wilderness than go get that good land. And why did they say this? Because without faith, those giants and fortified cities made it impossible. And the results were God letting them die in the wilderness by their own request. Another thing we know is that Moses was not a dictator nor a tyrant. After all, Moses was the meekest man upon the earth, Numbers 12.3. Moses even replied to those accusations. He said he never took one donkey nor hurt in any one of them. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 401, it gets to the heart of this rebellion. It says, if Israel should admit that Korah and his company were wrong and Moses right, then they would be compelled to receive as the word of God the sentence that they must die in the wilderness. So it's here at this rebellious confrontation 
between Korah, the 250 princes, and God's appointed leadership that God is about to do a new thing. Let's turn to our scripture reading again. Numbers chapter 16. We'll start with verse 30. Numbers 16, verse 30. Moses says, But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. As soon as Moses was finished speaking, let's jump to verse 32. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. Verse 33. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. God heard his servant Moses and performed a new thing. I'd like to point out a parallel with this story that will happen in our near future. After the three angels' message goes around the world, after God's people that are in Babylon come out, and after the close of probation, the ones who rejected God's word, those who are like Korah and the 250 princes, will be angry because of their sentence that now they must die in the wilderness. Then swords will be lifted up against God's people, but in that day, the Lord will do a new thing. The swords lifted up against God's people will break in pieces. Can I get an amen? The Old Testament is full of events with God doing new things. Here's another example. Have you ever tried to do something with your hands tied behind your back? Just for a moment, let's pretend our hands are tied. What would we use instead of our hands? Maybe our feet? How about our nose? One of God's greatest miracles for his people, he performed it with the breath of his nostrils. The Lord does a new thing in Exodus 15.8. Let's turn to Exodus 15.8. 15.8 And with the blast of thy nostrils the waters were gathered together, the flood stood upright as an heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 287, it says, Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, while the waters stood like a wall on each side. I'm sure there are many more stories in the Old Testament that you can think of where God performed a new thing. How about when King Hezekiah asked that the shadow on the sun dial go backwards 10 degrees? 2 Kings 22.10 Or when the three Hebrew worthies were thrown into a fiery furnace and Jesus himself walked with them in the midst of the flames. Daniel 3.25. Are more of your favorite stories from the Old Testament coming to mind? 
What about the New Testament? Any of those stories coming to mind? One of the greatest stories of Jesus doing a new thing is in John chapter 9. Let's turn to John chapter 9. We'll read verse 1 and then we'll skip to 5 through 7. So John chapter 9 verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was born blind from his birth. And 5 through 7. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Here our Creator gives sight to someone who was born blind. Another story that comes to mind of Jesus doing a new thing is the resurrection of Lazarus. If you remember, Jesus had performed other miracles of raising the dead. But this one was different. It was different in the fact that Lazarus had been dead for four days. You see, the scribes and Pharisees followed a commentary of the Bible called the Talmud. The Talmud is full of teachings, opinions, and traditions passed on through generations. By the way, the Jews still believe in it to this day. So, in the Talmud, there is a belief that only a death that has been at least four days was even considered death at all. Making all of Jesus' previous miracles of raising the dead dismissed and untrue according to the Talmud. That is why Jesus, the resurrection and the life, purposely waits until the fourth day to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. Turn with me to John 11. John 11:39 11, through 44. Jesus said, "Take ye away the stone." Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, "Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days." Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou heardest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. With this miracle, Jesus does a new thing and raises Lazarus after four days, according to the Talmud. I'm sure there are many more stories you can think of and the New Testament where Jesus does new things. But what about today? 
Does God want to do new things today? He sure does. The new thing God wants to do today in 2022 is found in Ezekiel 36:26. Let's turn to Ezekiel 36:26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. God wants to give us a new heart. And why do we need a new heart? Because in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? As Adventists, we believe we are living in the time of the end, the time of judgment that started in 1844. There was a time in the past that is a shadow of the time we live in today. This time in the past, we can read about it in Genesis 6, verse 5. Let's turn to Genesis 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Aren't we living in the, as it was in the days of Noah, time? Isn't every imagination of the thoughts of men becoming more and more evil? In Jeremiah 24, 7, it says, And I will give them an heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. But only those who are asking and praying for the removal of this stony heart, for a heart of flesh, can get this renewed heart experience. God's Spirit was slowly being withdrawn from the people of Noah's time. Is God's Spirit being withdrawn from us today? Like it was in Noah's time? In Noah's time, we could say only eight people kept a heart connection with God. Eight people who had their hearts of stone removed and were given hearts of flesh. Only eight people. Sounds a bit small. Is there any evidence of this? To see the evidence, we'll have to look at the fruit. One example we have from Noah's time is this. When the animals, the unclean by twos and the cleans by sevens, all came into the ark. By the way, wasn't that a testament to the health message? Does God have a health message for his people today? This event, all the animals going into the ark was a miracle where God performed a new thing. And the people saw it, and they heard Noah's last cry, get into the ark. But their response was, no. And they said, this doesn't prove anything. Then they hardened their hearts. They had hearts of stone. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 98, about this event. 
The world looked on in wonder, some in fear. Philosophers were called upon to account for the singular occurrence, but in vain. It was a mystery which they could not fathom, but men had become so hardened in their hearts by their persistent rejection of light that even this scene produced but a momentary impression. The hearts of stone, their hearts of stone, prevented them from seeing the new things God was doing. Church family, I don't want to be like those antediluvians who slowly rejected more and more light. It's my prayer today to ask for a new heart of flesh, for God to remove my heart of stone, so that I can see when God is doing new things. Will it be your prayer today as well? Isaiah 43:19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth. Let's not wait any longer. God can give us new hearts right now. Since we started with Moses today, let's close with Moses. Moses witnessed many miracles. There were many times in his life where God did new things. From being saved as a baby, floating on the Nile, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground, and even seeing him who was invisible. As I look back on my life, as you look back on your life, what new things has God done? But more importantly, as we look forward, what new things is he going to do? Our closing hymn today will be number 289.